0: The following message, entitled, Capstones of Confidence, part of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 27th of July, 2014. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, good morning. Let's open up with prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can gather this morning, to look into Your Word. Lord, Your Word is living and active and powerful. And Lord, we pray that Your Word would be understood today, that I would communicate it clearly, Lord. I am fully dependent on You. And Father, we pray that as we talk about Your love this morning, that You would help us, as Paul prayed in Ephesians, to comprehend, to understand how vast Your love is, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your love and all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my phone just rang. i got to make sure it's... <laughs> That's awkward. All right. Well, this morning we come to the end of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We've been going through the book of Romans for, I think... 24 weeks, maybe around 24 weeks now, and um, it's been wonderful week. I think of the truths that we have been looking at every week, week after week, through these eight chapters of Romans. I think of them like these really sturdy, solid foundation stones of, of just cut stone. And, and we've been building, God has been building and we've been seeing it, a, a foundation of biblical truth over these last 24 weeks in Romans chapter 1 through 8, as, as all of the truths have been fitting together, as, we've been, as we look back now at the end of chapter 8 and see them as a whole, how they connect with one another, we see this sturdy, strong, solid foundation of biblical truth that we've been studying. And I, I use that imagery, I think of that probably because I really like stonework. I like the beauty of stone walls or stone foundations, and I've uh, just always been fascinated with that. And if you've been to my my home in Bolivar, you you know that I live on a pretty steep hillside, and so I've had to build a lot of retaining walls that um, just kind of make so that we can have flat areas. I cut the hillside out, build retaining walls. I have a number of them at my house. And uh, one of the most important things that I've learned in building these walls is that you have to top them off with heavy, large capstones. Because if you don't do that, then there's really not a lot there to secure the wall, to hold it in place. So the capstones just fortify it. They secure it. And you've got to get the right ones. You've got to get heavy ones. They've got to go across the joints. They've got to be large enough. And I bring that up because this morning, at the end of Romans 8, at the end of this foundation of eight chapters of truth, God's going to lay the capstones on all of the truths that we've covered over the last eight chapters. I break this passage up into three doctrinal capstones that we can set on these truths to secure them, to hold them in place, to fix them solid. This comes from verses 31 through thirty nine. Let's look at it together. Romans chapter eight verses thirty one through thirty nine. It's a great passage. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give up, with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine... nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great passage. And I love how he starts it out. Look in verse 31. He starts it out with a question. He says, What then shall we say to these things? What, what things is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about all of the the stones, all of the truths that through these last eight chapters have made up this this biblical foundation of truth that we've been looking at. Everything in chapters 1 through 8. That mankind is guilty before God. That we're all sinners. That we all deserve God's wrath in hell. But that God has provided righteousness for us through one source, Jesus Christ. And it's through faith alone in Him not of our works, not anything we can do, not our performance, but faith alone in Him that we receive that righteousness and we receive eternal life. These are some of the truths. Another one would be that uh, we have a new identity in chapter 6 we learned in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we can walk in newness of life. Chapter 7 we learned that Even though we have this new identity, we can walk in newness of life, we still carry around this this flesh during our time here on earth. And in our flesh, we have these evil cravings or desires, things that want to go to things other than the Lord for our satisfaction. And we have to deal with those. And we learn in chapter 8 how to do that, that we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit of God. So all these things... All these things, what shall we say to them? And then last week, last couple of weeks, most recently in chapter 8, we learned that our lot in life as believers is to suffer with God. We have to suffer as Christians. We learned that we saw truths in verses 29 and 30 that God has, has predestined us. And that just means that He's set our destiny ahead of time predestined us and what he's predestined us for is to be conformed to the image of christ and that ultimately happens when he glorifies us when he returns so all these things what what should we say to these things what should we say and god's word doesn't leave us hanging we we shouldn't quarrel about these things we shouldn't uh say that god has stopped loving us whenever We go through trials or tribulations. We shouldn't make excuses for God to try to get Him off the hook because maybe we don't like one of these doctrines. What shall we say to these things? This is what what we shall say to these things, what God tells us today in these verses. So let's look at three faith-filled responses to all these things. And we can look at them as, I like to call them, three capstones of confidence. Confidence. To fortify our faith. So in this passage we're going to see three huge heavyweight doctrinal truths that secure everything that we've already learned. And that is, capstone number one, that God is for us. God is for us. Capstone number two, the case is closed. We are not guilty. We've been justified. Case closed. And capstone number three, we have eternal security in Jesus' love. We are eternally secure. We cannot lose this salvation that He's predestined us for. So let's break it up and and look at these one at a time. Capstone number one. This tells us that God is for us. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us. What he's saying here is, since God is for us, and the us here is all of us who are in Christ Jesus, all of us who have believed in Him, who have called on His name, who are Christians, since God is for us, who can really stand against us? I mean, who can successfully stand against us with God on our side? Now, What he's not saying here, he isn't saying that, that because God is for us, no one or no thing will ever try to oppose us. All of us know, all of us have had in this life adversaries, obstacles in the Christian life, things or people who try to stand against us. And as we saw last week in verse 17, it's one of the things that we are called to, as believers, we are called to suffer for Christ. The Bible tells us that Satan is a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. He's, he's always against us. He wants nothing more than to hinder your faith and get in your way so that you don't grow in Jesus. So he's definitely there opposing every one of us. Jesus Himself warned us that our road would be paved with suffering. And last week, uh, Joe reminded us that because this world is cursed, there's a lot of, there are a lot of results of the fall that are against us in this life that provide an ongoing battle for us. So, I mean, we look in the Bible, we see examples of this throughout. David in the Old Testament had Saul against him. Uh, Israel had the Red Sea standing in their way, right? E- Egypt coming up behind them, against them. Paul himself, the man who wrote this truth for us, compelled by the Holy Spirit, faced a number of obstacles that we can read about in his writings. Beatings, stonings, imprisonment, all kinds of trials and tribulation against him. So we're all going to have obstacles in our Christian life. We're all going to experience suffering. We need to be prepared for that. But... Here's what he's trying to get across to us. Listen to the truth from one of his other letters, 2 Corinthians 4 8 and 9. It says this We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The point is this, that we're all going to have obstacles and things in our path that, that, come, that we come across in the Christian life, but none of those things can ever knock us off the path to heaven because God is for us and He has set our destiny ahead of time. It is set in Christ Jesus. And He's on our side. And even when we go through those things, Satan may mean them for evil, Whoever brings those obstacles to us may mean them for evil. But like Joseph in the Old Testament, we can say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. They are all opportunities for us to grow in our faith, to grow in Him every time we come to one of these obstacles. It's an opportunity because we just saw in verse 28 last week that God causes all things to work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So we need to have this, this mindset that God is for us, and this is an opportunity to grow in our reliance on Him and our faith in Him when we experience these things. Second Chronicles 32 verses seven and eight is a great illustration of this of how to do this, of, of what to think when we run across these things. Uh, this is a passage that talks about when the mighty king of Assyria was coming against Judah, and Hezekiah immediately began to prepare for this, and as he did so, he encouraged the people with these words. He said, "Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. for they, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. See, these, these words are just as true, if not more true, for us today who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord is with us. He is there to fight our battles. He will never leave us and He will never forsake us, even when it feels like He has. Sometimes we just have to preach that truth to ourselves when it feels like He has. Well, how do, we, how do we know this? How can we really know this truth that God is for us? When we're suffering, when we're tempted, when we're feeling guilty for our sin, how can we know? Verse 32 answers this question. He says, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Or all things that that we need to get through this journey. All things that we need to reach our destination that He's predestined for us. Paul's using a, a really powerful argument here. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser in this passage, in verse 32. In other words... He's saying if the, if the big thing is true, the big thing that, that God didn't spare His own Son for us, then it follows that the smaller thing must be true as well. So it'd be like me saying if I, if I own the house, if I own my house, then it follows that I own the shingles that are on my house as well, right? Well, if God didn't spare His own Son for us, but gave Him up for us all, doesn't that show us that He loves us and that He'll give us whatever we need? Peace, joy, wisdom, whatever it is we need to get through these obstacles that are in our path right now. Because He's for us. That's, that's what we can know when we look at the cross. That He's for us. When we look at the fact that God sent His own Son to, to live a perfect life and then to die as our sacrifice on the cross, that God Himself became a man so that He could experience the wrath of His Father and die on the cross, that's that's how we know that God is for us. All of us who have believed in Him, we know that our our life is secure in Him. He's for us. Romans 5.8 says, God shows His love for us In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if if you need convincing, if you need persuaded, if it doesn't feel like God is for you because of whatever you're going through, don't don't look at the thing you're going through. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your your disobedience to the Lord. Don't look at your guilt. Don't look at your performance. Don't look at anything except the cross. Look at Jesus Christ, because that's how we know that God is for us. He showed His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the anchor of our assurance, that God is for us, that He loves you. He died for you. Jesus Christ, not our circumstances, not our performance, not our lives, not anything else, is our anchor. So God is for us. This is a huge capstone that we need to set on this Romans 1-8 through stone wall, and we need to remember that in our lives. Let's look at the second one, capstone number two. I call this one, case closed, with an exclamation point on it, because that's what we're going to see in these next few verses. The case against our guilt has been closed. So this may be a particularly helpful capstone or truth to you if you've ever struggled with condemnation or guilt for your sin and your failure to perform in the Christian life. Talk to a number of people who really feel like even though they've trusted in Jesus, they think, how could I? How could I really be a Christian because of what I've done? Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And that he stands before the throne of God day and night in order to accuse us. In order to tell God what we've done. To accuse means to charge someone as a wrongdoer, right? So if you have um, a family with more than one child, you know what it's like to have an accuser or be accused or hear accusations going on. And Mom Johnny isn't cleaning. Dad Susie isn't doing her chores right now. She's watching TV instead. These are accusations, pointing out wrongdoing. Interestingly, um, as I looked at this passage in, in the Greek, the Greek word for accuse is categorio. Now listen to what that sounds like. What, what word does I guess it's categorio. What word does categoreo sound like? Category. It sounds a lot like our word category, which is where it comes, our word comes from, actually. And the reason I find that interesting is that when Satan is standing before the throne of God accusing you and I, when we mess up, when we fail, he's not actually just tattletelling on us. Like, you know, siblings might do with one another. But he's actually doing more. He's putting you in a category. He's not, he's not saying, uh, you know, she, she gossiped God and that's a sin. He's, he's saying, look at her. She is a gossiper. That's the category she fits into. That's what she, Her label is gossiper. Or he maybe had a little too much to drink and he got drunk. And he's not like, God, he got drunk. No, look at him. He is a drunkard. And your word says that a drunkard will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Satan puts us in these categories. Whatever sin it is, whatever sin. And this is not to excuse sin. Because if you were here with us through Romans 6 and other parts, we know that one of the effects of, of preaching this grace, this justification, is that we can think, well, he must be saying it's okay to do these things, and I'm not. But Satan will put you in the category and point that out every time you sin. Revelation 12.10 and many other passages tell us that he's doing that. But the point under this capstone, capstone number two, is that if God justified you, it doesn't matter who accuses you before Him. That's the point. Look at verse 33. Who... And I want to say who with all the sarcasm I can because that's how it's supposed to read. Who? Who shall bring any charge, any charge, any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The case is closed. When you were when you believed in him, you were justified. You were looked at as if you never sinned because Christ's perfect righteousness was placed on your account legally. This is, this is a lot, there's a lot of legal language in this, isn't there? Let's, let's think of it like a courtroom. A courtroom. When Jesus died on the cross, and he said those three powerful words, it is finished. God the Father slammed down the divine gavel in His courtroom. Case closed. It's finished. Now everyone through the ages who would believe in His work is justified. Who can, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Satan? Your conscience? Other humans? Legally, in God's courtroom, the case is closed. And sometimes in our earthly courts, cases keep getting pushed up to a higher court whenever they're appealed. But, and then they end up in the Supreme Court, I think, which is the highest court. And if they say it's done, it can't go any higher. Well, the point here, what, what court is higher than God? God, the creator of the universe, the judge who will judge every person at the end of time. There is no higher court. And so this question... In verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect is meant to be a ridiculous rhetorical question. I mean, if God chose us in eternity past, which we learned in verses 28, 29, 30 last week, and if He set our destiny to be glorified when He returns and He justified us, who can bring any charge against us? We are His sons and daughters. We are justified and adopted by Him. We are forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. So who is the arrogant fool that's going to lay a charge against one of God's children? Does does this person, whoever it is, actually think that he's going to tell God something that he doesn't know? So when Satan stands before God's throne and says, He did this, he is this, she is that... I mean, is it like God doesn't know that? Is is He telling something God He doesn't already know? It might be true! But it doesn't matter because we've been justified. It probably is true. But God's not going to say, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. What would I have done without you? That's the point. Who? Who? Nobody can bring any charge against God's elect. It's ludicrous. Verse 34, <clears throat> who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We, we were singing this morning how Christ has been raised. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that one of the the great effects of His resurrection is that He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's raised, He's not dead anymore, and now He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Let's talk about that word, intercession. Some of you might not know, but we have actually um, a, national, a couple national archery contenders in the house this morning. Uh, Vicki Berlick was actually... I, I knew she had competed nationally, but she was ranked ninth in the world in uh, outdoor archery, or indoor archery, one of the two. Uh, and uh, Dave has competed as well. And I bring that up because, this, because of this word, inter, intercede. In ancient Greece, uh, the word intercede was also used in archery competitions. And it was used there when someone would hit the mark perfectly, when someone would hit the bullseye perfectly. this I forget the Greek word, tungano or something like that, but it's the word that we have translated intercede. So it was used when they would hit the mark perfectly. And the reason this is interesting and the reason I bring that up is because it's interesting when we think that the word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. The word sin means to miss God's mark. So every time you or I sin, we're missing the mark. So what's peeking in the courtroom of heaven? There's Satan, that wily accuser, pointing that out to God. But Jesus is our intercessor. So I picture it like archery. Like, we shot this arrow, we did this sin, whatever, and it's missing the mark. It's, It's not hitting God's perfect standard. But then we have this intercessor in heaven, Jesus Christ, who when Satan accuses, he grabs that arrow with all of the authority of his divinity at the right hand of God and he slams it into the bullseye and says, No, no, he's righteous. I intercede for him. He intercepts those accusations and he reminds the Father and everyone in heaven that he died for that sin And that His perfect righteousness is now applied to our account. And guess what? The case has been closed because of His intercession. That's what it means when He intercedes. And He does that for us. That's what He's doing right now. That's what Hebrews 7.25 tells us. Or 7.26 somewhere in 7. It tells us that He ever lives to make intercession for us, and that's another reason that we can know that our, our salvation is secure and eternal. Because He's there. He's interceding for us. It's not an excuse to sin. And the Bible clears that up in other places. But it is a heavy, heavy, secure capstone when we have sinned, when we have failed. To, to realize, to consider that Jesus Christ is there interceding for us. So who, who can condemn? He's the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Next time you feel condemnation for your sin. not conviction. Conviction is good from the Holy Spirit, but condemnation. You feel like God doesn't love you anymore. You feel like you've lost your salvation. You feel like you are just have somehow become separated from the love of Christ. Remember. truth. Don't let your conscience condemn you. Alright, well, those are two big truths, two big capstones. Now we have on our stone wall one empty space left to fill, and it's a big one. This is perhaps the heaviest truth of all, the greatest truth, maybe, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. And so we've got to find just the right Capstone. When I'm building a stone wall and I'm left with an empty space, I don't just pick any stone. It's got to have the right dimensions, the right breadth and height and width and depth. And let me read before we identify this, something that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and here's why I read this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we're looking for this perfect capstone that fits to hold these truths in place. Paul, Paul prayed that the Ephesian Christians would find this, know this, comprehend this. And I prayed that this morning when I prayed for us in this message I want us to know this because this is going to fill you with joy and the fullness of God. And it, what it is, is the love of Christ. So capstone number three, we have eternal security in Jesus' love. We need to see just how vast this love is. Just how huge and unlimited this love is. This this is a heavy, heavy truth. And I don't mean heavy like hard to understand. I mean heavy like this will get you through anything. This truth of Christ's love for you if you are a believer in Him. It's the perfect size to fit our stone wall. So let's, let's look at it. Verses 35 through 39 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, another sarcastic who. The... the nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have eternal security in Jesus' love. Christ's love for us is unconditional. It is incorruptible. It is eternal. It, it, it never ends. It's unfailing for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have believed in Him and His work on the cross and resurrection. His love never, ever, ever ends, no matter what. Christ's love for you is what our eternal, your eternal security, our eternal security is based on. It's not based on our love for Him because our love for him fails our love for him at times will fail right every time let me tell you just a little bit about this word love i've mentioned this before but i think it's just really crucial to understand this is a specific kind of love that he's saying that christ has for us it's it's the love of devotion it it means to be devoted to someone No matter what, through thick and thin, no matter what, Christ is devoted to you, committed to you, to you and I who are in Him. Now, we aren't always that way to Him, are we? I mean, think of it. Every time we sin, every time we fail, every time we love something more than Him or more devoted to whatever it is, fill in the blank, more than Him, then there's a break in our love for Him, our devotion for Him. right? It gets distracted to this or that. And so it's a really good thing that our eternal security, our salvation, doesn't depend on us and our love for Him. It depends on His love, His devotion to us. And that is perfect, pure, incorruptible, unconditional, unfailing, and eternal. It is set. It cannot be corrupted. Now I know that sometimes you know it's not going to feel like that. So verse thirty-six is a quote from Psalm forty-four, where it says, "As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long; we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered." As I said, we're all going to suffer in, in this life, and it might feel like with you know whatever you're going through, you you might actually be slaughtered. You might actually feel like a sheep being led to the slaughter. You might be, you know, Christians in other countries are killed for their faith. And so it's, it's really hard at times when we're going through things to, to remember that God loves us. I heard uh, a pastor named Ravi Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias, tell a story that illustrates this well. Um, he it illustrates the truth well that we sometimes find it hard to remember His love for us, but it also illustrates another truth well, the flip side, that even when our love begins to die out for Him, His love never dies out for us. Let me, let me just read what Ravi said in his sermon. He said, In 1971 I preached in Vietnam. I was in my mid-twenties, and my interpreter was 17 years old. He was a believer named Hein Pham and we covered the country telling the gospel of Jesus. When it came time to leave, I said goodbye to Hine, thinking that I'd never see him again. Seventeen years later, my phone rang at 11 p.m., and the man on the other end said, Brother Ravi, and Ravi said, there's only one person who spoke to me with that, that intonation, that accent. And I said, Hein, is that you? And he said, yes. Have you got a few minutes? And he went on to tell Ravi that after Vietnam fell, he said, I was imprisoned by the Viet Cong because I'd worked with the Americans and preached the gospel. They put me behind bars. They took away all English from me. And I, he says, they tried to knock the faith out of me. They took my Bible. I was only allowed to read Marx and Engels in French and Vietnamese. After about a year there, so worn out, I said, maybe you don't exist, God. I'm giving up all hope. I don't think I believe in you anymore. Tomorrow, when I wake up, he said, I'm not going to pray. So that morning when he woke up, he was assigned to clean the latrines in this prison camp. Dirty place. He said, Brother Ravi, it's the dirtiest place on earth you'd ever want to be. I bound a handkerchief around my mouth, cleaning the wet floor, And I saw a little bin with dirty pieces of paper with human excrement, human feces on it. And he said, but something caught my eye as I looked there. There was one paper, a piece of paper, with English writing on it. He said, I hadn't read English in so long that I washed it off and I put it in my pocket. And that night when everyone went to bed, I took out my flashlight. And on the right-hand corner, it said, Romans chapter 8. He said, I started reading and I cried, Lord, you didn't even leave me for one day. He said, "Ravi, listen to what I read. And this is what he read. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the next morning, Hein went back to the commander and said, Can I clean the latrines every day? And he gathered up day after day what became his devotional reading for each day. And that's what got him through the rest of his time in this prison camp. And if you look at it online, the rest of the story is great as well, how he got out of there and escaped. But that truth that Jesus' love for us will not be separated no matter what is what got him through those days. And that's, those, those powerful truths are what will get us through whatever we're going through as well. So like Hein, you, you might be going through hard circumstances. You might be ready to give up on God. But I want to encourage you to look, well like Hein did, look past the mess of your life to the pages of the truths of God's Word because that's where you'll find truths like this that will give you peace and joy and assurance that God still loves you. Verse 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. All I want to say about this is the next time you see uh, a Nike shoe or a swoosh or a commercial... I want you to remember this truth, that we are more than conquerors. And I'll tell you why. It might sound, what's he talking about? I like word picture association. I like visual images. And so when you see that, or you hear Nikes, remember this verse. We are more than conquerors. Here's why. The Greek word for conqueror is Nikeo. And that's modern, modern Greek, you say Nike. They said Nikeo, it's the same word. It means conqueror. It means overcomer. It means victorious one. So I guess when they sell you their shoes, they want you to think you're going to win, you know, if you wear their shoes. But we know that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And the cool thing about this is the more than, the more than conquerors, it's it's the Greek word huper, which is where we get the Latin or English word super, or the English word hyper, huper. We are super conquerors. I mean, more than conquerors in all these things, in all what things, in anything that you're going through in life, we are more than conquerors, not in ourselves, it doesn't end there, but through Him who loved us. So what this means, guys, is that when we, no matter what we're going through, live in the light of Christ's love for us. When we live in the light of that, when we remember that, when we consider that, when we focus on that and not our trial or our obstacle so much, that we will, He will get us through. His love will get us through. Even if it's death, His love will get us through that. We are more than conquerors in whatever situation that we're going through in life when we live in light of His love. So when. When the road gets rough, when things get bumpy, we need to remember to set our minds on, on His unconditional love for us. When I, when I said when, when the road gets rough or when thin, things get bumpy, it made me think of how when we fasten our kids, those of us who have young kids, into car seats. Um, you know, it's not the same as when we were young, is it? Those of you who have kids now. When we were young, like I, they didn't have car seats. I don't even know if the cars had seat belts. And I can remember like playing on the floor and laying on that rear deck of the car. And a friend of mine had a big uh, 1970s station wagon with like wood, fake wood paneling on the side. And and I, I rode in the back of that thing a couple of times. And it was huge. I mean, you could play hide and seek in the back of that thing. It, no car seats. You know, you didn't have to strap in. But now, you know, I can remember uh, when we brought Annie home, our daughter who was three, the nurses had to come out and check, you know, to make sure that the seat was strapped in like three or five places and you had to be able to get your fingers between the strap and all these requirements, all these straps, you know, all the seats and buckets and all that stuff. And um, the thing is, on, on our journey to heaven, when we're, when we're born, when we're born again, Um, we don't have to worry about being left on our own. It's not like if I would say to Annie, Hey, Annie, you don't need all that. Just hold on. road's getting a little rough up here. Hang on, Annie. She couldn't do it, right? She couldn't do it. And we can't do it either on our own. But God has strapped us in securely with the unbreakable cords of Christ's love. And that's why we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're secure for our journey. And that's why, just to close, that's why Paul can say in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death... Now listen to these things. Death nor life. Death nor life. I mean, anything in your life. Any, nothing in your life can separate you from the love of Christ. That's pretty all-encompassing, I think. Nothing in your life. And your death can't even do it because that's the very means by which God brings you in to His presence. And you experience His love in a full way. Nothing in life or death, nor angels, nor rulers. And that word for rulers can mean spiritual rulers of evil like Satan and his demons, it can mean rulers in this world as well, can separate us. Nor How about this? Nor things present, nor things to come. So let's look at these broad categories of present and future. Like nothing in present, nothing in future, nothing in time can separate you from the love of Christ. So if you try to think of something that you think can separate you, I bet it took place in time And if it did, ruled out, can separate you from the love of Christ, nor height, uh, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Anything. Nothing can separate us. You might think, well, maybe I can separate myself from the love of Christ. Wrong. Unless you're not a created thing, which we're all created, right? we're all created things so we can't even separate ourselves from the love of Christ so this is this salvation of ours is secure is secure verse 39 nothing will be able to separate us it's from the love of God in Christ Jesus our lord in Christ Jesus our lord that's where his love is for you it's not in you it's not in me it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not in our obedience, our performance, our circumstances, our trials, or anything. It's in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that's why we are eternally secure. So what shall we say to these things? We say, God is for us. We say, the case is closed. And we say that we have eternal security in the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that You would fortify our faith, Lord, with these truths, these heavy truths, these capstones that we can rest securely under. Help every Christian here to be able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and the vastness of the love of Christ for us. Lord, I I pray that if there are any non-Christians here, anyone who hasn't believed in Jesus, that they would realize that they don't have the same kind of security, same kind of love that we experience every day. Father, and pray one more thing. I pray for those who are really um, going through trials and circumstances that cause them to question Your love for them. Help them, Lord, to see this love more clearly as a result of Your powerful Word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.